You're listening to the Redeemed Sexuality Podcast, where sexuality meets discipleship. I'm your host, Drew Boa. What is sexuality? This is a big question, one that can be hard to wrap our minds around. So let me start with a comparison. In many ways, sexuality is like the ocean. Nothing quite compares to the beauty and the power of the ocean. It's breathtaking. It's mysterious and so much bigger than we can understand. Like the ocean, sexuality inspires art, music, and poetry. It brings people together and helps them connect, relax, and just enjoy the goodness of God's creation. But precisely because it's so immensely powerful, it's dangerous. The ocean needs to be navigated with wisdom and humility. And the same is true of sexuality. Like the ocean, our sexuality is fundamentally good. God created it. God loves it and wants us to experience its awesome potential. After all, sexuality gives us a picture of who God is. What exactly is it? First of all, sexuality is so much more than sex. It's our embodied capacity for intimate relationships. And we have this capacity because God gave it to us as a gift. And because we have this gift, we long to use it. Our sexual desires can make us feel lonely and incomplete as individuals, but we were never designed to be alone. Sexuality is like an engine that drives us out of ourselves to know and be known, to love and be loved by others and by God. It's a basic part of what it means to be human, to be embodied, to be alive. So sexuality is a much larger category than sex. Sex describes something people do. Sexuality describes a part of who we are, people hardwired by God for intimate relationships. So whether or not we participate in sexual behavior, we are sexual people. If you and I were to have a conversation, we couldn't just leave our sexuality at the door, just like we couldn't leave our age, race, class, or culture behind. I can only talk to you, shake your hand, make eye contact, and give you a hug as a man, specifically as a young, white, married father. These realities, age, race, gender, sexual orientation, marital status, they color every relationship with unique flavors and possibilities. The fact that I'm a man means I can be a brother, not a sister, a son, not a daughter. Here's the point. Sexuality involves all human relationships, not just romantic ones. It not only includes sex acts, but the entire experience of living as male or female. It's our embodied capacity for intimate relationships. We're born with this capacity. Even babies have it. They are hardwired for skin-to-skin contact and emotional intimacy, for resting in the arms of someone who loves them. Starting at age zero, we are all sexual people. Some of you might be thinking, hold on, so you're saying even my relationships with friends and family are sexual? If that's the case, what makes them different from a boyfriend or girlfriend or a spouse? At this point, we need to make a distinction between two types of sexuality, relational or social sexuality and erotic or genital sexuality. These two types are introduced to us in the first two chapters of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2. In Genesis 2, we're introduced to erotic or genital sexuality, being attracted to someone engaging in sexual behavior, even full-on sexual union. 
This is what we see when Adam and Eve meet each other for the first time. Two people unite their bodies and their entire selves without reservation. The scene ends with Adam and Eve together, both naked and unashamed. What we're left with is a portrait of true and perfect intimacy. Two people becoming one person, fully knowing and fully known, fully loving and fully loved. Yet outside of sex and marriage, outside of the romance of Genesis 2, there is another more ordinary and often overlooked dimension of sexuality, the social or relational sexuality introduced in Genesis 1. In Genesis 1.27, human beings are created in the image of God as male and female. As we've noted, this reality affects every relationship, and just because it's sexual doesn't mean it's erotic. Social sexuality is simply how our maleness and femaleness plays itself out in everyday life. I love the way Marva Dawn explains this in her book Sexual Character. When I speak with you, I do not do so as a neuter. I relate to you as a woman, with my particular body and spirit and mind, with my whole self, which has discovered its identity within the framework of being female. How I relate to everyone else in the world in every kind of human interaction depends upon the way in which my social sexuality has been formed. Also, in my own unique personality, in social situations I express a woman's affection in many ways, hugs, touches, kisses, words, but these are carefully chosen to be fully loving and honorable, thoroughly reserving all expressions of genital sexuality for one and only one person, my husband. Did you catch that? Her social sexuality is expressed through affection and love in appropriate ways with many people, but her erotic or genital sexuality is a different story. So what? What practical difference does all of this make? This perspective on sexuality has huge ramifications for how we understand Jesus and how we understand ourselves. First, how we understand Jesus. Jesus Christ was and is a sexual person. Being fully human, Jesus was born with human sexual desires and attractions, yet without sin. He enjoyed intimate friendships with men like Lazarus and with women like Mary and Martha, yet without lust. He expressed his sexuality socially, in beautiful, life-giving ways, welcoming the outcasts, touching the wounded, embracing the limits and possibilities of a single life in community. He enjoyed close relationships, even though he never engaged in erotic sexual behavior. In his life and his death, Jesus fulfilled the true meaning and purpose of sexuality, to embody God's love, to love as God loves, honoring, valuing, enjoying, and protecting people created in his image, male and female. So becoming like Jesus as a sexual person doesn't always mean refraining from erotic sexual activity. It means learning to love like Jesus. It means not just tolerating, but embracing God's design for our sexuality, both erotically and socially. This perspective on sexuality can also revolutionize the way we understand ourselves. Mainstream culture would have us believe that erotic behavior and having sex is the way for us to find sexual satisfaction. The church tends to take a slightly different spin on this by saying in order to have that satisfaction, you just have to be married. Both perspectives idolize sex by promoting the idea that true pleasure and true love are to be found in bed with another person. Because of this, both inside and outside the church, 
We are conditioned to think that without sex, our lives are incomplete or that we are somehow inadequate. We're prone to believing that the way to find love and connection, the way to feel known and cared for is through a romantic relationship. A mature Christian perspective says no. This entire way of thinking comes from a failure to distinguish between the two types of sexuality, genital or erotic, and social or relational. Too often we turn to erotic experiences thinking they'll satisfy our deep hunger for social and spiritual connection. They won't, and they were never designed to. Our sexual desires are often misdirected. Because they're good, we don't have to suppress them. Instead, we can express them in ways that are healthy and holy. When I took my first surfing lesson, I was trying to swim against the waves and getting nowhere. No matter how hard I tried, it didn't seem to help. I was just exhausting myself. My instructor, who was a classic surfer, told me, stop competing with the ocean. You'll never win. Start collaborating with it. Start cooperating with it. After that, instead of trying to overpower the waves, I adjusted myself to move with them in the right direction. In the same way, we don't have to work against our sexuality. After all, it's more powerful than we are. With wisdom and humility, we can learn to navigate our sexuality and redirect it to accomplish its original purpose, to propel us outwards, beyond ourselves, into intimacy with others and with God. How does this perspective on sexuality compare with what you have been taught?